0: Hi, this is Kaden, and this is my daddy's podcast called Lasting Learning. Welcome to Lasting Learning, the podcast that was started because I thought I had things to say. The podcast that continues to grow because we've learned that your stories matter more. Welcome to Lasting Learning, where we explore great people doing extraordinary things, sharing with us the lasting lessons they've learned along the way. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Those of you that have been on this journey with me for the last five years. We've listened to just about every episode on the pod. You know that one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I like to be able to reach out and meet new people. And it's weird. You know, I'm a middle-aged white guy. And if I pick up the phone and call people and say, hey, I'm curious about you. Can you tell me about your life? People will hang up on me instantly. But if I say, hey, let's record a conversation on video that we can then share with the world people readily agree. And today I've got one of those people. She fell for it. I've got somebody on that. I'm going to try to get to know in a more authentic way. And you're going to be along for the journey. She's a woman that I've heard on other podcasts. I I know a little bit about her story. Some of you might've heard her on other podcasts as well, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper. We're going to learn about her journey. We're going to learn about who she is, what makes her drive. She really embodies my personal philosophy that it's more important to reach each student than every student. She's somebody that focuses on the individual. She's somebody that has really wrestled with the question that some of you have heard me ask, and some of you have heard me express as the hardest question I've ever had to answer is, who are you? Today, I've got an amazing guest on. Her name is Amy. She's living in Texas. Today, as we're talking, it's cold. In Texas, I'm joining in Florida, and I'm wearing a hoodie. She's joining from Texas, and she's all bundled up. But I guarantee you're going to be warm after hearing this conversation today. Amy Matthew Perez is here with us. Amy, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Well, Dave, it's an honor to be here, and you're right. I'm all bundled up. It's 40 degrees in Texas, so we think it's a hard cold winter. But I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I'm really excited to pick your brain. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit of of education and instruction and pedagogy we'll talk about your career trajectory but we're also going to talk life today we're going to talk about your story and some of the lessons that you have learned in your journey and we'll probably open up and you'll probably get me to share some of mine because I have a feeling that's what you're gonna do Um, (laughs) but let's just let's unpack your journey a little bit in your 30 years as a professional you've really done all the jobs haven't you
1: I've done a lot. I've done a lot. And before I get into that, I wanted to tell you that I really connect with the name of your podcast, you know, lasting learning. And that implies that we're ongoing, that our learning is ongoing. And that's what I'm all about. You know, Dave, I consider myself an experience expert because I learn from every experience and every interaction that I have. So that's one of the many reasons I've connected with your, with your podcasts and your guests and your message. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm in my 30, I think my 32nd year. I mean, does it really matter? after 30? <laughs> Right. Um, yes, I started um, as um, well when I was in college, let's be honest, I changed my mind my senior year. So that's an example of, you know, being brave enough to know who you are and know what you want to do and maybe make some unpopular decisions. And so I was going to school to be a teacher because I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, even tried to get out of it in junior college. I took a, a computer programming class thinking that's where the money is. And I wrote a program that wouldn't stop looping. So I guess I put a comma instead of a period. I don't know. Um, And the professor came up by and said, you know, this may not be the field for you. So I went right back to education, um, went to school to be a teacher, a middle school teacher. And my senior year, I took a phonetics course. And I was like, oh no, this is it. I talk a lot and now it's going to have a purpose. I'm going to be a speech pathologist. So I called my parents. I'm the youngest of six, by the way called my parents, told them all about it. And they were so excited. They, they were so excited. They were so supportive and they were like, you can do it. You can do whatever you want. That's awesome. And I was like, real, really? Cause I was about to graduate. they like, yeah, as soon as you get a job, you can do whatever you want, baby girl. <laughs> so that's what I did. I graduated, started um, teaching middle school actually as a substitute teacher in January. So, you know, they had, had subs <laughs> all fall. Um, And then got hired a week after being a PE sub, got hired to teach um, theater and speech to sixth, seventh and eighth graders. And then started my college journey is what I call it. I was in college part-time or full-time for 26 years, Um, just kept going and going and going. And so then I became a speech pathologist, worked as a speech path in the same district that I went to school and graduated from, um, became an educational diagnostician, assistant principal, principal director of special ed um now I'm a director of special programs so that's that's a Polaroid picture of a four-hour 3D movie
0: (laughs) but there's so many similarities between between our journeys and our stories I I went to college thinking I was going to go into another career I thought I was going to go into broadcasting and then Mm. ended up as a middle school teacher and followed a very similar path and did all the things and in that time was constantly thinking there's got to be something more for me to do I feel like there's something else for me to do there's another thing that I'm supposed to do and mm-hmm. I kept chasing that next thing. And I think it all led me to this moment. Maybe, maybe I kept chasing those next things just so I could be sitting here and talking to you today. I mean, you could help me explore truly my passion and per, and purpose in life. I'm going to go back. You, you said that you had a conversation with your parents and they mm-hmm. said, yep, you can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Very real question. Do you actually believe that?
1: Absolutely. Without hesitation. They supported me in every, everything I could do. They just weren't going to financially support me to go back to school again, right, for that long. So absolutely, they've supported me in everything I've done. And being the youngest of six, I mean, that's a lot of support, right? I mean, not only financially, but emotionally. And I'm very blessed that they're still alive and all my siblings are still alive. So we're a close-knit family. So it's a lot of blessings, but absolutely, I believe that. I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't believe that about my parents, as well as my siblings and my husband, absolutely. Mm. And I honestly think that's sometimes what it takes, someone else believing in you, that can kind of bump your own security and belief in yourself. As a matter of fact, I was um, recording a podcast with another um, person and uh, Nicole Biscotti and, mm-hmm. we were ch- and Barbara Bray, and we were chatting afterwards. And I just literally messaged Nicole yesterday about something that she said to me during that um, conversation after the podcast. And that's been a couple of weeks, but it has resonated with me so deeply. She said to me, just in passing, as a part of the conversation, it wasn't a quiet moment of ohm and insight. She said, you know, Amy, I think you really underestimate what you have to offer people. And then we just kept talking, but that just keeps resonating. So those little bursts of support and encouragement helped me tune in and be reflective to what I am passionate about and what I am working for is worth it. And it does, it does align with my values and what I'm doing because I've had a lot of no's, right? I'm working on some book series. I've had more no's than I've had even maybes, let's be honest. And there've been times when I thought, well, then it must not be important. But I circle back and I'm like, no, it is important. It is important. It will change the, the practices and special education in 504. I've just got to keep at it. The kids and the parents are worth it. I've got to keep doing it. So let's,
0: let's sit here for a minute because I, okay. I think there, there's a big conversation that maybe we're beating around, but I want to try to get to the heart of it. I have said before, and I'm a true believer of this, I've got four kids, that my job as a dad is more about building confidence than it is to, about building competence, right? My job Absolutely. is to give my kids the belief that they can do all the things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, that's extremely difficult because in the real world, most of my professional life, is centered around competency-based instruction. How do we know when they know? And as a dad, even as a leader at times, I spend more of my time trying to nudge people in the right direction, trying to let them know when there's a roadblock and they need to go another way, trying to paint realistic dreams into their minds, hearts, and beliefs. You know, with my kids, if they all want to grow up and be in the NFL or NBA, I feel like there's a part of me that has to say, "Mm, maybe not for you, Let's think of another path. Is there any any gray area in this where my job isn't just to to blow smoke and say you can do anything. you can be anything. you are the best of the best, or is it to say nope, here's your niche. Let's try to identify who you really are and how that thing is the thing that you need to be doing
1: so I will tell you this comes from a person with no children. So there's my disclaimer, right? It's easy to have an opinion when you don't live the life. So there's my disclaimer. But I truly believe even in my work, right? Even with my nieces and my nephews, I truly believe in facilitating the environment. And I think that's what my parents have done where I can explore, right, strengths and discover weaknesses because you don't really seek those out and then have the confidence and the security blanket, if you will, or the the net of security to take action on what you believe is your gift or your talent. I mean, I wanted to work at Disney World, Dave. That was my long-term plan when I was in high school. I was going to work at Disney World or Disneyland. I can't remember. It's been too long. So I tried out. My mom took me to SMU University to try out for Disneyland. Did she think I would make it? Well, I don't To me, she thought I would. And guess what? I did. I made it through the first round of tryouts. I made it through the singing part. And I, would, you know, it was a big celebration. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And then I got to stay. And then we had to go through the dancing part. I did not make it through the dancing part. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they put me in a can-can group, David. And I'm too short for the can-can group. I did the dance perfectly, but Anyway, I got dismissed. But that's just an example of facilitating. And I don't I don't think it's telling someone what their niche is or their niche, however people say it. And I don't think it's a matter of saying you're good at this. You're not good at this. I think it's making a safe environment where they can explore those things and let people figure that out themselves. Just like I figured out I'm not a computer programmer, but nobody had to slap my hand and turn me around and say, no, never. I think it's creating that environment. And I try to do that a lot. It is hard. It takes a lot of patience and it takes more silence than it does talking. Yeah. But to create that where people are confident enough to explore it. And then when you see as the, as the parents or as the grown ups, as I call them, when you see that person flourishing and really engaged and loving what they're doing and maybe even losing a sense of time because they're so into it, you can help them realize, wow, did you realize you just spent three hours editing that podcast? That must be a passion of yours. Yeah. When they may not even realize it's a passion.
0: No, I, I, think, I think you're spot on, right? I think in the, in the world that we live in today, we tend to live in this world of hyperbole, where people live on one extreme or the other. And I experienced this at the soccer field with some of my kids, where some of the moms feel like their kid is the star. And they they do no wrong anytime the referee blows the whistle, it's not little Johnny's fault because he makes no mistakes. And little Johnny in his in his quest to gain confidence is given a false sense of reality. Mm-hmm. Where I where I feel like my charge is with my kids is to give them the confidence to try, give them the confidence to fail spectacularly, and the confidence to not feel shame when they make mistakes. And I think I think what, we're, what we've become in America today is we hear those taglines like confidence over competence and they think, okay, that means I'm just supposed to blow smoke and act like you make no mistakes and come to your defense at all times. And that's not the reality. The goal is to give people that realistic preview. When I began my my journey into working in higher ed, my first job as a professor was at a right to try university. A right to try university means they didn't take SCT scores, ACT scores. As Ooh. long as you had a high school diploma, you were willing to come in and we'll give you a shot. We'll let you try. And, but we're not going to water things down. We're going to give everybody an equal opportunity to try. And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And I think that's what we have to get ourselves to. I'm, I'm a big believer that one of the biggest barriers to growth is getting defensive instead of getting reflective. And we've created this environment with creating confidence with people that they get defensive as opposed to looking back and saying, no, I messed up. But I'm going to do something different. And that's okay. You've had the opportunity throughout your career by gaining so much confidence that you are so comfortable in who you are that you can look back and say, oh, I made some mistakes. I've changed my careers. I've made, I've made other plans, but hey, I'm happy with who I am and I'm going to keep on moving. I don't care what you think about me. Let's keep <laughs> on rolling. How did, you, how did you get such such swagger and it, it really is a, a humbling confidence that that oxymoron that exists. Where does it come from? Does it just come from mom and dad instilling that in you and telling you all the time? Yeah, you can do it. Go ahead. We got your back regardless.
1: Well, I think that's part of it. Um, I also think that, and this is, this is a very common phrase, but I'm going to dig into it a little bit deeper. I don't lose. I either win or I learn. I'm either successful or I have a lesson. And that sounds, like I said, very common, but It is the truth. I learn from every single thing that happens to me, whether it's a positive experience or a negative experience. And I'm not the Pollyanna, I'm not hearts, rainbows and flowers. I am a silver lining person. Even in the most, the worst tragedy, I figure out for myself, what did I learn from this? How is this gonna make me not better because that implies that I'm horrible, but how is this gonna grow me? How is this gonna make me evolve and how am I gonna use this learning so that I can evolve and continue to develop, which is the domino effect, right? To developing my passion. And then I push that through communication and share it with others. Because I'll tell you, there are some lessons that I learned that are just for me. I'm not going to share those with other people, but they impacted who I am and they impact how I do things. But other lessons that I learned, they are going to, they're still going to impact me, but they're also ones that I'm going to share with other people because I don't fail. I just learn and I'm okay with that. Sometimes I have to learn more than once, let's be honest, that's true. And sometimes I learn lessons the hard way, but I've learned from it. And what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? I'm not just going to shut it out and blame everybody else. I'm going to say, okay, what did I learn from that? How is that going to impact me? And how am I going to use that to empower other people? I'm not going to say, oh, don't do what I did because it was a big mess up. Not necessarily. Some people might want to hear that. And some people might learn from that, but most people won't. Is that
0: going to be a blunt question here? Is that, is that a a false sense of reality to say that you don't ever fail? I mean, isn't it, don't we all fail? Aren't there some things that we just look at like, what that was an absolute cluster and it didn't work. And
1: Oh yes, absolutely. I failed, but
0: there's failure, but not labeling yourself as a failure. Is that what you're trying to say? Correct. Okay. Well,
1: yes, but I do believe there's failure. But when, and I, that's why I was saying that phrase is very common. I don't feel I learn. there is failure, but I don't focus on the failure. I focus on, okay, what can I learn from that? Is there something I could have done for a different, to make a different outcome? Um, was this something I was passionate about to work hard enough about it, um, to work hard enough to get better at it? Cause sometimes that even when you fail, you think, okay, so, so now what? And you have to decide, right? Am I going to try it again and work harder? Or am I just going to let that go and move on? And that's a very personal decision that, you know, you dig down and it ties to your values. What do you value? Oh, I've tried lots of things and failed. Don't get that twisted. I'm a capital F failure at lots of things, but (laughs) I don't focus on the failure. I focus on, okay, what did I learn from that? And how is that going to impact me? Right. I learn every day. I mean, I am married to the love of my life. We've been married almost 23 years and I still learn every day how to better facilitate the relationship and the communication. And it's pretty ideal, but I still learn.
0: Mm. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you clarified because I was going to go back and say and ask you, so if you've never failed, explain to me again why you're not a computer programmer, right? It's sometimes we look at those failures and we just get defensive, but you right. took it and said, no, let me use this to propel me forward. And so when you look at where you are, right now mm-hmm. it you know we could talk about career identity and who you are as a woman and all of those things what what drives you today like what what are you still pursuing what are you still chasing that you haven't quite gotten yet
1: well I love the way you said that because I don't really see it as chasing I see it as listening and responding to what my passion is Because to me, chasing means it's in front of me and it's something I have to go get. And resonating and listening means it's something I have to create. So, but what I work on and what drives me is my passion to be the best that I can be. And I know that sounds very corny, but I need to be my best so I can give the best to other people and start that ripple effect of an encouraging and empowering other people. And I can't do that unless I'm a model of that, a model of learning and a model of getting better. And I was thinking a lot over the weekend about how people like to push, push, push. And something that came into my head was, and I had to write it down. um, You don't have to push, but you do have to press in order to be your best. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, it's 100%. Let's go. It's going to be a big deal. It's not. It can just be a little press It's every little baby decision that you make and it doesn't always have to be progress. You know, maybe you eat one donut instead of three. To me, I'm celebrating that progress. You know, maybe I work out for 20 minutes instead of 40 out 40 minutes at the gym, 20 minutes at home versus 40 minutes at the gym. That's progress. I am driven by progress and valuing what other people have to offer and making it all fit, making people, understand and feel how their contribution matters because it does Mm. it all matters so that's really what drives me
0: well there's there's a part of me right now i'm smiling because i know about some of your your past career endeavors and how special education has a special place in your heart and Mm. drives you and right now you're speaking like every special education teacher i have ever met Right, where we're going to celebrate every small success and we're going to look for progress over perfection. Um, and But then there are other people that hear that kind of stuff and they say, Amy, this is the problem with the world today. You just focus on the smallest little detail. We've got expectations. We've got to have higher standards for people, mm-hmm. for, for excellence, for mastery, for proficiency. While you're celebrating the small, they're getting away with not having to do the big. While you're celebrating eating one donut instead of the whole box, I threw the box away and I didn't eat any of them. Why are you celebrating? Talk to me a little bit about about this because you know that this is a source of tension with with people. And in educational society today, even in the world today, where people have a hard time celebrating progress. And I would argue that those small steps, they are progress. They're always progress because you're making an intentional decision, which is starting to, to mm-hmm. trigger and nudge new habit creation. Mm-hmm. And we can get into mm-hmm. the social psychology of all that later on, but it's progress, but people don't care about progress. A lot of people just care about the final product. Absolutely. It, who's right. Are, it, do people just need to get a life and calm down uh, to quote no. one of the most famous no. people in the world today?
1: No, everybody gets to live their own life, Dave. But the thing is, is what do you value? What do you value? Do you value the product or do you value the product, uh, the process or the progress? Because part of the problem, and I'm not blaming or pointing the finger is people don't understand how big progress can be to an individual. So it's all relative. It's relative. Progress is relative. You can throw out that whole box of donuts, but that was your choice. Me eating one instead of 12, that's progress. That's going to help me get to whatever my goal is, whether it's healthy, lose weight or whatever that is. But I think it comes down to values. Do you value the individualization of progress, the individual definition of progress? Or do you value this major thing that needs to be accomplished? Which one do you value more? And that's a trick question. That's a trick question. Because I think you have to value both. Mm -hmm. But it's those choices that impact where you go along that scale. So I'm going to celebrate not just the small bits of progress, but the individualized things for each person. And that sounds really silly, but I'm going to celebrate what progress is for you and I'm going to celebrate what progress is for me. That doesn't mean I'm going to throw a party right? Doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I'm going to forget that there's a bigger goal. You know, in Texas, there's the star scores. I'm not going to forget that, but I can't just aim for that bigger goal without realizing there are steps along the way. We've seen those, right? We've seen that picture of the ladder, take the steps, don't go to the top and all that. That's what I'm talking about. But I really think it boils down to what do you value? Because if I value progress and I know what progress is for you, that means I value you.
0: Well, I I think this is interesting, and we're going to talk education from it. We're both wearing our hats right now. This is pretending these are educational hats, but by the way, if you're if you're listening to this and not seeing this right now, love your hat. The the faith over fear model I th- I think is is solid. Thank so you. we both have edu- our educational hat on right now, and mm-hmm. we both live in these these hot button states right now for education in America, where
1: absolutely we are
0: told no politics belong in education.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However. Whether you're talking red and blue, R's and D's, donkeys and elephants, what you're telling me right now and what I'm hearing from you is as educators, your values still bleed into the classroom. A lot of what I'm hearing from you is it's almost this libertarian idea of free choice. Um, Everybody can kind of choose their own destiny. Uh, Every kid is on their own specific journey towards wherever they're going to go in the world. Is that, is that in alignment with what the system, the man, education today is telling us when we live in this standards-driven world where we've got assessments, whether it's the STAR assessment or if we, we mm-hmm. talk Smarter Balanced or SAT, ACT, and everybody has to hit a certain benchmark, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like what you're professing, what you're preaching, what you stand for is out of alignment with that, that model.
1: I wouldn't say it's out of alignment. I would say it's gray. Okay. And I live okay. in a gray world. It's not black or white. It doesn't have to be this or that. I think one leads to the next and it's not mm-hmm. just students. I'm, ta- I'm also talking about teachers, paraprofessionals, principals, superintendents. Um, I, I think it's a balance and, t- and I know that's a very common word, but to me, balance is a verb. And in what I call my Amy brain, I see myself walking on a tightrope And to maintain balance, you're constantly moving, right? You're Mm -hmm. constantly adjusting. So when I say balance, it's a balance between number one, knowing what the big picture is, right? Knowing what the ultimate is, valuing, number two, valuing what that big picture is, because at some point, whether you agree or not, you have to value it because it's the system, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But then you also have to go down and see, okay, what are the steps to get there for this teacher? What are her steps for this student? What are her steps? And I've had a conversation with more than one coworker that has said, you know, this whole system is ridiculous. And I'm not going to get into specifics because that's general enough. And I say, well, I understand that. Let's not talk about the system. Let's talk about the people. What are we doing to value the people? What are we doing to get those people where they need to be? Not so they can fit into the system. Don't get that twisted, but that so we can figure out how the system will serve the people in the system. Mm. And it's hard, I mean, it's a hard it's a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, I will say, I go against the flow quite a bit when I talk about valuing individual contributions. I'm not saying more so than the ultimate goal of the big picture, but you're not gonna get to the big picture without the people. So you've mm-hmm. gotta value the people and what they have to offer. And does it align perfectly? No. But it shifts. We balance, and I know the people can't see me moving my hands, but I'm a visual learner. It's an ongoing process. It's not black or white. It's not the person or the system. It's not the person or the program. It's making them work together. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not. But we are moving forward. Yeah, we are yeah. moving forward.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree wholeheartedly. Right, and I'll say some things right now where. You don't, you don't have to. You can disagree with what I'm going to say right now because I don't want to put you in the hot seat and get you in any trouble. Right now, I got nobody that can yell at me um, other <laughs> than the listeners right now. And feel free. Write your comments. Remember, it's at Dave Schmidt on all the things. Comment comment away. But I, I feel like every decision we make in education is a decision around values. And we, if we start talking about politics, politics is just a, a way to, to blanket your values under mm-hmm. a label of here are all of my values, Right. But in schools, we, we tend to say your personal values have no place in education, which I'm sorry, that's, that's a bunch of BS. If you mm-hmm. teach social studies, you might value teaching the Constitution more than you value teaching the Civil War. If you teach language arts, you might value grammar more than you value uh, creativity. If you teach science, you might value the periodic table more than you value whatever. We're always choosing, right? You might value always. in your grade book tests more than you value homework. You might value having your desks in rows versus in small groups. (laughs) Your values are on display by the decisions you make every single day. So it is about values. But what we've tried to do is we've tried to silence people and tried to get people to comply by coming up with scripts and mandates and pacing guides and scopes and sequence, all these things that are trying to turn education into a widget driven society. We're trying to go back to the era of creating future manufacturers. There's nothing wrong with creating manufacturers, but we're trying to drive critical thinking, creativity, and communication collaboration, the five C's out of education again, which is, those are my values. When you can get people to become critical thinkers and communicators and collaborators, you're creating a society now that can thrive in disagreement and continue to move each other forward, where you don't have to fear people bringing conversations to the table because people are okay having those conversations. And I'm worried that in our age and our quest to standardize things, we're losing autonomy. And this is from a guy who, again, spends the vast majority of his time talking about standards-based grading and competency-based instruction and mastery. I believe in all those things, but I also believe that there are a lot of different ways to get people to those levels. And in our quest to save teachers and our quest to make things as, um, as equalized as, as, as possible... In our quest for fidelity, which is that stupid F word that I hope we get rid of in education really soon, right. we have created rinse and repeat teacher-pay-teacher teacher models of classrooms where everybody's doing things the same way. Everybody wants to be in Pinterest, and everybody's classroom has to look the same. Every, every student has to, to be the same. And it's driving me bonkers. So that was me saying it, so you didn't have to, Amy. And I say that because you said that you kind of sw- swim upstream at times. And there are times where you might not necessarily agree with the entire system, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, as, as this person that has confidence in who you are, your beliefs, your passions, your values, do you ever feel the pressure to conform to whatever you feel like the rest of the world, the rest of society, the rest of the job thinks, if, if you know it goes against your own personal values and beliefs and ways of doing things?
1: Well, I, I think pressure is probably the wrong word because like I said earlier, there is a part where you have to compromise. I don't think you have to compromise your values, but it is your work, right? And my work, I'm lucky enough that, that my job is aligned with my passion. So I don't mind making those compromises because it's still aligned with my passion. Now, when that alignment is no longer in place, I'm not going to make those compromises. Um, Much like, when I was in a previous position as a principal. It aligned with my passion, but at some point that alignment, um, there was no longer a match. And then the compromises I was asked to make were no longer worth it, worth my health or my mental health or my physical health. So I had to leave that position or I chose, I didn't have to, I chose to leave that position. And that was not a popular opinion. Like you're saying, I didn't go against the big picture, but it was not a popular opinion, but it's what I had to do, like I said earlier, to be the best me, to be able to serve my passion and the people that I, that I serve, right? The people that I want to serve. And I can't do that if I, I can't do my best if I'm not at my best. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying, and I do think that it's an ebb and flow. Um, and I'm thinking about a specific instructional program. I'm gonna back up. The five C's, I agree with you completely. Those need to be in there. People are scared of those because they don't have the skill set to teach it or talk about it or respond to it. So I think that in my very humble opinion, I think that's all fear-based, but those five C's take a lot of time, right? Take a lot of money, take a lot of training, none of which public education has, right? We never have enough time, people, or money. So I understand that because some people just wanna to continue to push through and I want to give you two examples of um, the, the big picture, like what you said, the pressure of the big picture and and complying versus um, individual progress. So one is one example is we have a specific program that we teach children that have a specific disability. I'm trying to be very politically correct. That is a scripted program and it is scripted because it is very specialized instruction. I'm not gonna give you my opinion on whether that's the best program in the whole wide world to meet that special need. That's not the point. The point is some people will follow that script to the tone of voice, right? Other people follow the, maybe the theme of the script and then do their own thing. But in the end, guess what? We're gonna measure what progress those children have made. So I agree with you. I don't like the F words in education, fidelity, funding, forms i got lots of f words that i don't like dave let's be honest but we have to measure the children's progress and so if if this program has been proven to work and make help those kids make progress then you do have to follow that program you don't just get to say yes i'm going to follow program abc but i'm going to do it my way because then then why follow a program so i think you got to find the middle of the road there hold people accountable but let them be creative as long as they're doing what they're supposed to to do for the children, not for themselves. And to me, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Because people will say it's my classroom. Yes, it is your classroom, but you're charged with helping the kids learn. So if like you said, the straight, the desks in a straight row makes you feel good if that's your value. But if you're teaching theater, that may not be the best setting. So you've got you to gotta make it work, right? And if it's not working for you, then maybe you're not in the position that aligns with your passion. Maybe you're not in a position that makes you willing to compromise. My second example will be um, in Texas, we call them, well, I think everybody calls them IEPs. So, writing IEPs can be difficult. Um, and, you know, Texas audits districts every six years, yada, yada, yada. And it's an area where people with more than 20 years struggle on how to write a good goal, how to write a good goal in an IEP. And so, when I teach people how to write an IEP, I give them a framework. And I say, these are the four things that have to be in it, but now you create it. And then I let them create it and then they bounce it back to me. And we have this bouncing back and forth conversation. Again, I'm not saying, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, rewrite this, this doesn't make sense. I'm giving them the feedback of how it will be read by someone who doesn't know any better. How is it going to be interpreted? How is it going to be understood? And through that evolution of conversation, that goal improves is it ever perfect i don't think there is such a thing but it's better so again it doesn't have to be you shall you will you must but i do think you have to have a balance of what's the final product what's the goal not the product what's the goal of the work and then how we get there can be very individualized as long as you know we're not breaking the law people come to me with ideas and i'm an out of the box thinker i don't even think i have a box let's be honest and i always say look if it's not illegal i'll try it mm-hmm. If it's as long as it doesn't hurt kids or break the law, I'm going to try anything you want to try to help kids learn and to help staff, whatever it is they need, feel more confident, try new strategies, whatever it is, I'm willing to try it.
0: When I think it comes back to what we started our conversation with, with building confidence in people, whether they're your kids, your staff, your friends, your family, Mm -hmm. to try. And that comes with sometimes confronting them with failure, confronting them with the need for correction without also coming at them with judgment right there's absolutely there's a, a study that I was recent reading recently that was confronting the idea of test anxiety and saying that it's a complete myth there's no such thing as test anxiety for anybody what there is is there's a fear of judgment that comes from if i take this test what will people think of me right absolutely. and when we're building confidence in people our goal is to teach them that sometimes you're not going to succeed, but that should never waver your confidence in who you are and what you're capable of. You learn from it, accept the feedback from the failure, from the opportunity to either plow ahead or change mm-hmm. directions without mm-hmm. taking a second thought to what people are going to think about you. And I think that's what you do with people. You've, mm-hmm. you've demonstrated this through your life. You've demonstrated through the, your career. You've demonstrated this from childhood on, which is which is phenomenal and um, it, it needs to be celebrated it, this confidence over confidence mindset, but again, it's not popular for some reason because everybody's <laughs> chasing the gold star. Everybody's chasing the label, the, the add on to the resume, their CV, their, their badge, their email signature. Everybody wants the, the new flashy thing to be able to say, I'm special, which is ironic. Thinking <laughs> about your drive, your goal, and how you believe that mm-hmm. everybody
1: is special. We are walk me through that oxymoron. So I want to talk about what you said first before I walk you through that oxymoron, because I think what gets in the way, I think what, well, I shouldn't say this, but I'll say not gets in the way, but I think what is coupled with judgment is ego. And I don't have an ego. (laughs) Um, I um, am always the first to fail. I fail first. I talk about it. I'm not going to say expose it because that doesn't sound right, but I make it a real thing so that when people that I work with and people that I love and people in my circle see that I fail and see that I survived the failure, that I'm okay. And look, I learned something again, not that I'm a role model for it, but it makes that environment better for people to take that risk of failure because I have, I have no room to stand in judgment. I'm just going to give you feedback and that's, That's very different than judgment. Now, I've I've been told that I'm pretty frank with my feedback. I'm pretty straightforward. Um, I don't mince words. I'm not rude, but I'm very direct. I'm working on that. I'm also very loud. I'm working on that.
0: You're just Um, a Texas girl. No shame in that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're right about that. You're right about that. But I do think ego plays a huge role in that. So one thing that I, and I'm going to get back to the special thing. One thing that I uh, talk about, pontificate, whatever verb you want to use is when it comes to our work, my work, and special programs, special education being one of those programs, it's not ego, it's we go. You have got to check your ego at the door when you come in to learn how to collaborate to support a teacher or to support a student or to support a family, because it's not about you. And that is so hard, Dave, for so many people to understand because they think, oh, but you want my input, you want my ideas, so how's it not about me? Well, because your input and your ideas are, are, are important. We're going to look at those. Doesn't mean we're going to do them, but we're going to consider them. But everyone in this collaborative collaborative circle has ideas and opinions. So we're going to put those together and create this you know, net of awesomeness. But it's not your creation. It's a collaborative creation. And I just think ego gets in the way of so many things. So many things. Um, but to go back to what special... And I know it sounds corny. I know it does. But the analogy I always use, I use two, but I'll just share one with you is as adults, there are things that we do for ourselves and expect others to do for us in order for us to be successful. Give you an example. I set alarms on my phone. I probably have, if I had to count them, 15 alarms on my phone on a daily basis. Take your medicine. Check, uh, call your mom, just alarms for every single thing. That is an accommodation. It's an accommodation that I do for myself because I know that works. And how do I know that? Because I've figured it out through trial and error. The other thing I do is people will stop and say, oh, I need this. Or can you help me with this? Or hey, can you remind me to do this? Which is all fabulous because I'm all about collaboration. But guess what my response is? I need you to email me. I need you to email me. Can you put that on a sticky note? That is another example of an accommodation that my Amy brain needs. So third example, wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. When I go to Whataburger best hamburger in the whole United States, not just Texas, I don't like tomatoes. I don't, I think they're not finished in the middle. I think they're squishy. I just don't, there's nothing I like about tomatoes. So guess what? I order my Whataburger without tomatoes. That's an accommodation. So as adults, we get accommodations for ourselves and from others for us all the time and we don't think twice about it. So why is it such a royal issue when we need to give accommodations to students, whether they're identified as special education or 504 or anything like that? We all have those and that's what makes us special or different or unique, whatever adjective you want to use. But let's recognize that and quit judging that there's something wrong with someone because they need an accommodation. Because you get an accommodation, I can guarantee you, you might know what not know what that is because you haven't reflected enough about it. And I'm all about removing the label, right? So I have a couple of shirts that both say "See the able, not the label." I don't. There are no special ed kids in the world. There are all no. There are no GT kids. There are no EB kids. They are kids. They're learners. They are not their label. There's no such thing because as adults, Dave, I don't want to be called by an adjective before I'm recognized as a person you know I don't want to be called um angry Amy even though I'm not angry I don't know why I would come up with that I guess because it started with an a um I just want to be known as Amy not anything that's a shortcoming or what some some group somewhere thinks is a gift I just want to be known as who I am so that's another soapbox I tend to get on is let's drop the label and let's see the able
0: I could not agree more big believer that labels only limit no matter if it's a a affirmative label or, or or a a label from a deficit, they limit Mm -hmm. who you are because you try to live up to that label. Um, There's, there's a lot that you just said there that I'm sitting here and I'm just screaming and and saying, yes, yes. Keep going. Keep going. Preach, 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 because the only people that have an issue with accommodations are the people that still believe the purpose of school is to sort and select. That you're supposed to be using school to try to figure out who's got it and who doesn't got it, who's the good and who's the bad. Mm -hmm. And those are the only people, the people that use school to compare each other are the only ones that have problems with accommodations because they're the ones that preach. It's not fair. It's not fair that that person got something that that person didn't. And that's only an issue if you're saying that we're supposed to be comparing kids, which is Mm -hmm. not our goal at all. Yep. Right. That's the way that we've done it for a long time where we've used school to sift people and to say who's going to go on and who's not going to go on. Mm -hmm. We see this in research when we say people with a college degree end up making X amount of dollars more than people that don't go to college. But what we don't see is what demographics go on to college and how were those kids chosen to go on to college because of the sorting and selecting process that we have done in the K-12 world. In the K-12 world, instead of trying to uh, level the playing field, we continue to perpetuate the myth that we're supposed to be sorting, selecting, picking and choosing and defining people's destinies instead of allowing them to choose for themselves. So preach, preach and preach, Amy, <laughs> well, because you got me fired think, up right now.
1: <laughs> well, uh, thank you for that, Dave. And I think it even goes deeper to say <laughs> when we look at those studies, what are we valuing? Are we valuing a degree in the money? We have to look at the people and we have to honor what is valued to them, in their family unit, and their, in their, um, their, you know, their group, their, what's the word I'm thinking of? Their, um, their society, their demographics. What's valued there? Because it's very, very different. Because maybe what's um, valued in one demographic is they graduated from high school and they have a job, whereas in another demographic, maybe what's honored is oh, they got their doctorate degree but you have to know what their values are and you have to honor those. And that's what it comes back to knowing and honoring the values for each person, for each group and helping them get there and helping them see beyond what they see as the finish point, right? The finish line, excuse me. I mean, when I got my doctorate, I thought I was done. Although, I mean, my husband did say, please tell me you're finished with college. (laughs) Cause I'd been in college the first 13 years of our marriage. And I said, I'm finished. Um, I said, all I want is to go get my O&M and VI certification. He said, I love you. Those are more letters. Please don't. And I said, I'm just joking. I'm finished. Um, but again, that wasn't the end all and be all for me, for me personally. Is it valued in, ver- in various demographics? Absolutely. Does it define who I am? Absolutely not. All that does hopefully is send the message that I'm a learner, that I want to continue to grow and learn more. So I think we have to honor values when they're different than our own. And again, circles back to what you said, Dave, and it comes from judgment, which I think also is tied to ego. Because if I don't value what's important to you, then I've just judged you. Part of that right. not valuing you is judging you. And that's, that's hard, that's hard, but it can be done. It can be done. It just has to align with where your heart and your passion are all together.
0: Yeah, so good. And I, so good. I, I'm sitting here, I'm writing a bunch of other things down that I want to talk about. I want to talk about providing low barriers for access. I want to uh, talk about just allowing everybody again to to focus on that that right to try mindset. Mm-hmm. I want to focus on, but I'm not going to go there right now. That's going to be a teaser. And I think I'm going to have to share something else or we'll have to come back and have another conversation okay. soon where we we unpack Pandora's box and really start to explore some of those concepts. But I, I want to make sure that uh, the listeners right now are able to, to focus back on you because we're we're talking about a lot of things right now that are probably spinning around in people's minds and a lot of conversations that we've had so far today from childhood to career to life, politics, education, you name it where we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. But I want you to imagine that you are the listener right now and all the stuff is spinning around in your head and you've heard all this stuff and you're like, okay, but what do I, what do I focus on? What's that tangible next thing? What's, what's the thing that of all else, if if you're gonna say this is the thing and then just drop that mic and walk off the stage, that I that's the thing I need to listen to. That's the thing I need to rally behind. Amy, if you had to to sum up or give the listeners one little nugget from all of these things to to really sink their teeth into and to, to reflect on, what is it?
1: Well, I I'm amused that you think I would have one. So I have two. <laughs> one is to remember that today you are as old as you will ever be and you have the most time and space to grow than you ever will. You have more time today to learn and grow than you will tomorrow. So that's one thing I want listeners to remember and reflect on. And the second thing is something that I got from coach Kurt Hines on um, X, Twitter X, whatever we're calling it. And it really has resonated with me for such a long time. And that is this dramatic pause. You had a purpose before anyone else had an opinion. You had a purpose before anyone else had an opinion. And to me, wow. So I've got to tap into my purpose. I've got to remind myself of my purpose, regardless of other people's opinion. And And drive on and learn from every experience and align it with my purpose and my mission. So one more time, you had a purpose before anyone else had an opinion.
0: So good. It's a a lesson that I've had to learn. And Mm -hmm. there's been people that have been in situations a lot like me where sometimes you're literally or metaphorically looking off over a railing, wondering what's the point of all this? Mm -hmm. What does everybody think about me? I'm a failure. You live in shame, but you've got to remember you've got a purpose and that purpose it trumps everybody else's opinion. Your purpose mm-hmm. was put in place before they they came up with their opinions. Your purpose will outlive their opinions. Most yes. of our most of our opinions don't even last into next week. Hopefully <laughs> you will. That's true. So continue to outshine right. it, continue to outlive it. And and Amy, I think that you are a walking-talking embodiment of that. Your purpose comes through very loud mm-hmm. and clear. You are strong, you are confident, but yet you're also humble enough to recognize that. You don't have it all, but what you do have is going to be shouted from the rooftops. And I absolutely love that. You're killing life. You're killing your career. You are just absolutely amazing. I'm so glad that we got to connect today. Um, Me too. If,
1: I'm so glad.
0: If listeners want to continue to connect with you and learn alongside of you, what's the, mm-hmm. the best way for them? Obviously, all the stuff is linked in the show notes, people. If you want to take that extra right. step and actually do the work. Do the the work, do the
1: work. I promise I'm worth it.
0: (laughs) But if you're lazy and you're like, no, I'm just going to listen. And I'm just going to sit here and type on my phone and start following or connecting. All right. Talk to the lazy people. How can they get a hold of you?
1: Okay, lazy people. Those are my people, by the way. (laughs) Um, The best way is Twitter X, whatever we're going to call it at Dr., uh, Dr. Amy MP at Dr. Grow to Know. And see, even my name reiterates the fact that I know I need to grow to learn more. So Dr. Grodeno, just find me there, that's the best way. I'm still developing my other social media platforms, but I live there a lot and I would love to connect with people.
0: There you go. So people if if you couldn't understand that Texas accent and you just need to see it in print, <laughs> it's in the show notes. Grab it.
1: I do not uh. have an accent Dave. Come on <laughs> Sorry. now.
0: Sorry, for those of you that live in New York and you have that <laughs> accent, she doesn't. Those of you that might live in a, in another in another nation the Texas accent apparently is the true American accent. So, um, but if you need to see how to spell it out, it's all in the show notes, click it, follow her. You'll continue to learn. You'll continue to grow and you'll continue to flourish in your own confidence in who you are. So again, Amy, thank you so much. This has been an amazing episode. I love getting to know you and we will do this again really, really soon.
1: Awesome. I'm so grateful for the chance to get to know you too. Appreciate it, Dave.
0: Thank you for checking out this episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Your support means the world to me. I would love to continue to connect with you. Feel free to reach out to me at Dave Schmidto on all the things. Connect with me online at schmidto.net or shoot me an email david.schmidto at gmail.com.